So we're going to turn to the verses this morning of our scripture and ask you to turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read in the book of Luke beginning with the 36th verse, and then we are also going to go to the book of John. So we're going to begin with Luke chapter 24 and verse number 36. Luke chapter 24, verse number 36, the scripture says, And as they thus spake, the they in this particular verse is talking about the two men that walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They have returned to the disciples. And as they thus spake, they are the two men that walked the Emmaus road with Christ have returned back to Jerusalem. And they are telling the disciples, we have seen him. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself handle me. And see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. And when he had thus spake, he showed them his hands and his feet. And now if you will turn with me to the book of John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to begin reading with verse 19. John chapter 20 verse 19. And the scripture says, Then the same day at evening, Being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and he said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And I'm going to stop reading right there and ask that you bow your heads and let us pray together for the Lord's anointing in the ministry of the word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. I am grateful this morning, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity to come together and to worship you. And Lord, I am grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit that we have felt and that we have sensed in the house of God. I'm thankful this morning, Heavenly Father, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that destroys every yoke of bondage. And now, Father, I would ask for that anointing to rest upon me 
I pray that you would touch me with the, the anointing of your Holy Spirit, that you would put your word in my mind and your thoughts in my, in my heart this morning, that I may convey those thoughts to this, your people. Of my own self, I am inadequate and I can do nothing. But if you will touch me and if you will anoint me, and if you will enable me to convey the word that you've placed in my heart, then we will indeed be challenged and blessed. I pray, Father, above all things, that you would glorify your name here in this place as the ministry of the word goes forth. That you would glorify the name of Christ and that you would edify the people of God. Whether they listen here in this auditorium or listen by way of the internet. I pray that you will touch them. And for all of these things, Lord, we will be eternally grateful and eternally thankful. And we ask them now in the mighty and awesome name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone in agreement with that prayer said, amen. amen. I want to title the message this morning, Revealing the Scars. Revealing the Scars. Our text this morning is literally a continuation of the resurrection story. Our text, the Bible teaches that Jesus has suffered and endured the cross. But the crucifixion is over. And the crucifixion and the cross are now behind him. Indeed, he was buried. He was placed in the tomb, but the tomb could not hold him and the grave could not secure him. And now the tomb is also behind him. And we are at the point in the narrative where Christ is alive and he has conquered death and hell and the grave. And the apostle Paul would write many years later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? And oh, grave, where is thy victory? In other words, Jesus rendered death and the grave as useless. The cross is behind him. The tomb is behind him. And what looked like defeat has now become a great victory. And now Jesus turns, amen, his attention to uh, teaching the disciples and ministering to the disciples and revealing himself to be alive to his followers. Both of the texts that we have shared this morning make it clear that the disciples were locked away for fear of the Jews. Both of our texts make it perfectly clear that the Peters and the James and the Johns and, and those that had followed him and watched him minister, they are now locked away hiding themselves because they feared that the same treatment that Jesus got, they would soon endure themselves. 
They are afraid. They are fearful and they are locked away in hiding. The Bible says they are fearful and they were insecure that their fate would soon be that of their master. So they are hidden away. And they are afraid. John chapter 20 and verse number 19. Look at the very first part of that verse. It says, then the same day, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, it's still Sunday. It's no longer Sunday morning, but it is Sunday evening. When the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and said unto them, Peace be still. What I want you to notice, first of all, in that scripture this morning, is that it is the same day. This was Sunday evening, the day of resurrection. It was the same day that the women had gone early to the tomb and found that the tomb was empty. It was the same day that the Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene had seen him earlier in the day and thought that he was the gardener. It was the same day that she returned back to the disciples and said, he is alive. The same day, it was the same day that the Bible teaches that two of the disciples walked the road to Emmaus. It's found in Luke chapter 24. And as they are walking the road, the Bible said they are conversing among themselves. And they are talking, the scripture said, about all these things that had happened. They are talking about the way that Christ taught and about the miracles that he performed and his ministry. And now they are discussing how that he was crucified and wrongfully accused and hanged upon Calvary's cross. And all of a sudden, as they are walking along and talking, Jesus joins himself with them. But they don't know who he is. The Bible says in the King James that their eyes were withholden. In other words, they didn't recognize who he was. And as they walked along, Jesus, I'm going to give you a loose white translation, said, hey, what are y'all talking about? What are you discussing? And why are you so sad? As you walk and you talk, why are you so discouraged? And they said to him, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Haven't you heard about everything that has transpired in the last few days? There was a mighty man of God who was mighty in power and mighty in deed. And we thought that he was the Messiah. And just a few days ago, he was crucified. We saw him die. They buried him in a tomb. And now some of the women come and say this morning that the tomb is empty and he's alive. And we don't know what to think. And Jesus, the Bible said to them, oh, ye fools and slow of heart to believe. 
Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and then entered into his glory? And the Bible tells us there in Luke 24 that as they walked along, Jesus, beginning with Moses, began to expound unto them the word of God. And they were getting a one-on-one revelation, amen, from the beginning to the, amen, to that point uh, where the Messiah would be crucified and rise and, 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 and redemption would be preached in his name. I mean, they were getting a life-changing word from Jesus himself. And yet they didn't even realize who he was. And the Bible goes on in that narrative in Luke 24. The Bible said when they arrived at Emmaus, now from Jerusalem to Emmaus was about eight miles. So they had walked about eight miles. And when they arrived at Emmaus, Jesus, the Bible said, made as though he would go on. And they constrained him to come in. In other words, they wouldn't take no for an answer. No, you got to come in. It's late. You can't keep traveling. Come in and, and sup with us. Come in and be with us. And the scripture says that Jesus came into with them. He came in and the Bible said they sat down to break bread and Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and then he broke it. And when he did that, their eyes were open and they got an eye full and said, hey, it's him. And he vanished out of their sight. I don't know about you, but that just might freak me out. He just simply vanished from their sight. But they knew that it was him. Their eyes were open. I don't know if they, if they got a revelation and their eye, the scales on their eyes would pull off and they recognized his face. I don't know if when he lifted up the bread to bless the bread and begin to break it, or break it, they went, my God, he's got nail prints in his head. I don't know how it happened, but somehow they knew that they knew that they knew it was him. And they were so excited about this revelation. Hey, the women ain't gone crazy. They were telling the truth. And this news is just too good to keep to ourselves. And so the Bible said that they got up after walking eight miles and they turned around and headed back to Jerusalem. Now, how many of you know if it's eight miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it's eight miles from Emmaus to Jerusalem. And now it's dark, but they are so enthused. Can I just tell you something this morning? If you ever really get a revelation of who Jesus Christ really is, if you ever get a revelation that he is the Savior, if you ever really get a revelation of who he is, amen, you will have to tell somebody about it. They couldn't keep it to themselves, and they arose, and they headed back to Jerusalem. And they arrive in Jerusalem and they go in where the other disciples are all locked away for fear. 
and they are afraid and they're hidden away and these two that walk the Emmaus road they begin to tell the others about their experience they said man we were walking down the road and this guy we never saw before joined up with us and pretty soon he began to talk to us uh, he asked us why we were so sad and we told him all the things that had transpired and he began to tell us the word from Moses uh, up to the and our hearts began to burn on the inside there was something about this guy that was different there was something about this man uh, amen that had a life uh, changing effect in our heart and we didn't realize who he was but when we got inside and began to break bread it was Jesus And about the time we recognized him, he vanished from our sight. Now, can you imagine the other apostles and the other disciples? He did what? He, he did what? I'm telling you, John, I'm telling you, Pete, I'm telling you. Hey, man, he just simply vanished out of our sight and our text says and while they yet spake Jesus just appeared in their presence and said peace be unto you I find it ironic that the words of Jesus had just the opposite effect they were affrighted they were afraid. I mean, can I just tell you, Christ wants us to have peace, but oftentimes we get to looking at everything around us and we too become fearful and afraid. Amen. I want, I want you to know if you serve the Prince of Peace this morning, then the Prince of Peace wants you to have peace in your heart. Jesus says to them, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and they were afraid. And so Jesus says to them, Behold my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Handle me for a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. In other words, he's telling them, I'm not some figment of your imagination." I'm not some spiritual cloud in the air. You can handle me, touch me, feel me, see that I'm real. But he tells them, the Bible says in that 40th verse in the book of Luke, and when he had thus spoke these things, he showed them his hands and his feet. I read over in the book of John as a word of confirmation. John chapter 20 and verse 20 says the same thing. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Luke says his hands and his feet. And John says he told them to look at my hands and my side. Both of the gospel writers tell us that Christ wanted them to look at his scars. He's saying to them, look, touch, handle, see for yourself. 
You can see where they drove the nails into my hand. You'll see the scarred places where they drove the nails into my feet. Check out my side. You remember when the Roman soldier pierced my side with a spear. Right here's where it happened. That's where the spearhead landed. You can see my scars. I find it interesting this morning and thought-provoking that Jesus wanted to identify himself by the scars on his body. He wanted to identify himself by the scars in his hands and the scars in his feet and the scar in his side. And I want to tell you this morning, all week long, the Spirit of God would not let me turn my attention from this word. But the Holy Spirit kept bringing me back and bringing me back and bringing me back to these scars. And I said, finally, okay, God, why the scars? Why? The scars, what were so important about the scars that the first thing he says to them is be at peace. And the second thing that he says to them is, hey, you don't believe it's me? Check out the scars. Look at the scars in my hand. I got to thinking on it and pondering over it. And I ask you to think about it this morning. Amen. Think of the glory and the power of God that raised Jesus from the grave. Such awesome glory and power that death was destroyed and the grave was rendered useless. Think for a moment about the glory and the majesty of that moment because the very presence of holy angels began begin to show up and proclaim why seek ye the living among the dead he's not here but he has risen amen think about the glory and the power of God that was so strong that it shook the earth and rolled the stone out of the way and he who was dead came forth alive forevermore that's power and yet He still has the scars. I got to thinking about it. Couldn't God have raised him from the dead? Raised him out of the tomb without leaving the scars behind? Couldn't God have raised him from the grave without leaving the lasting marks in his body? Couldn't God have raised him from the tomb free of the nail prints? And couldn't God have raised his resurrected body free of the reminders of the pain and the suffering that he had endured? We little understand the kind of body that Christ was raised from the grave to inhabit. 
We do know that it, it could appear and disappear at will. We do know that it could travel at the speed of thought. We do know that he sat down and ate with the disciples. He had fish and a bit of a honeycomb. We do know a little bit about that body. It could, it could appear, but in, in building, it could, it could travel through walls. Amen. But what we do not understand uh, this morning or what we can't seem to grasp this morning, amen, is why the scars, the, the scripture clearly indicates uh, that he still had the scars in his body. Surely if God could have raised him up and he did, then God could have performed some kind of cosmic, divine, cosmetic surgery and got rid of the scars. Surely there was enough power to remove the lasting impression of the suffering and the pain and the agony and the shame of the cross. Why the scars? I submit to you this morning that the scars were left as a reminder. I would submit to you that the scars were left as a reminder because that is the nature of scar tissue. Scar tissue reminds us of an incident. Scar tissue reminds us of an accident. Scar tissue reminds us that there was a moment, there was a place where there was pain, where there was some kind of suffering. A wound may heal, but the scar tells a story. A wound may heal, but the scar testifies, amen, all on its own that something happened here. And I begin to pray and ask the Lord about this, this uh, revelation or this, this revelation of the scars and what, what it means. And the Lord began to speak into my heart. Scar tissue testifies that there was a place where there was trauma and there was pain, where there was injury and where there was brokenness and where there was damage and discomfort. The scar tells the story. Scars remind us of the things that we have experienced in our lives. When God brought this word into my spirit, he put three things in my heart to bring to you about the scars of Christ. Number one, why the scars? Number one, they were proof positive of his identity. When Jesus said to the disciples, view the star or the scars in my hand, in my feet, in my side. They were proof positive of his identity. They were proof that he was not a figment of their imagination. They were proof that he was not a spirit or a ghost from the spirit world, but in fact that it was Jesus. They could see and identify that it was him because they themselves had saw the nails driven into his hands. They saw themselves the scar in his side and they had witnessed the very moment that he received those 
wounds uh, just a few days earlier. Uh, amen. And now they could see for themselves where the scars were. The scars were the evidence of the wounds. Uh, the scars were the evidence of the pain uh, and the suffering. Uh, and the scars were the evidence uh, of the loss and the brokenness. Maybe they did not believe Mary Magdalene. Maybe they did not believe when she came from the tomb and began to tell them that he is alive. After all, she was just a woman. And in the Jewish culture, her testimony as a woman would not even hold up in court. Amen. So why would they believe her report? Perhaps they had heard wind, amen, that somebody had stole the body and he was no longer in the grave. Perhaps they were unsure of everything that they had seen and that they had heard. But when they saw the scars, immediately the Bible said they were filled with joy because the scars proved who he was. The scars proved that he was alive. It proved that he was the same man that died earlier. All of the doubts faded away. All of their disbelief evaporated. Their fear vanished. All because they saw the nail prints in his hand. All because they saw the nail prints in his feet. And the Bible tells us that he revealed unto them his scars. Secondly, Number one, uh, his scars proved his identity. Number two, secondly, the presence of the scars revealed his great love for them. Jesus taught the disciples when he ministered to them in John chapter 10 and verse number 11. He had taught them, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd will give his life for the sheep. John chapter 15 and verse number 13, Jesus taught his disciples and said, greater love have no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. He taught them in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, the scripture said that God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. And let me tell you this morning, the Scars told the story of his love for us. He was the good shepherd and the scars dis, amen, declared the testimony that the good shepherd was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the sheep. The scars revealed his love. He loved us. He loved the world so much that he would go to Calvary's cross. And now he stands in their presence with the scars in his body to remind them of that great love. Amen. Number three, 
The third thing that the scars remind us of is that sin has a price. Hello? Sin has a cost. And it was our sins that cost Christ his life. Sin has a price. Sin separates us from a holy God. But Jesus laid down his life to give us eternal life. And so that we might be reconciled unto God. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 19, the scripture said, by one man's disobedience, uh, that one man, uh, Paul is saying was Adam, by one man's disobedience, many, the whole, whole human race, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, many shall be made righteous. Uh, his scars reminded them, uh, and they should remind us for Forever, that the ultimate price has been paid so that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, the scripture says these words, God has made him. Jesus, God hath made him to become sin. He who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is that Jesus gave us his righteousness and he took upon himself at Calvary's cross our sin and he became the, the penalty. He became the sacrifice for our sin and he gave to us his right standing with God. Hmm. His scars should remind us that sin has a price. Sin has a cost. Sin has a penalty. And Christ loves so much and his scars testified of his love. And his scars testified that the penalty for sin has been paid. But Thomas was not there. Thomas was not there. I'm getting where the Lord wants me to end up. Hang with me. Thomas was not there. The scripture doesn't tell us where Thomas was. But the word is careful to tell us that when Jesus showed up the first time, he wasn't there. Everybody else was there. And the two men from Emmaus were just going on. I mean, our hearts burned within us. We started to have dinner, and it was Jesus. And right in the middle of their story, Jesus shows up. But Thomas was not there. Jesus shows him his scars. He stands in, in their midst and he, he says, look at the scars in my hands and my feet and my side. See that it is I, don't be afraid. And they were filled with joy because they realized it was Jesus, but Thomas was not there. 
The Bible tells us in John chapter 20, or chapter 20, verse number 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, Didymus in the Greek means twin, but Thomas was not there. He was not with them when Jesus came. And now there is a space of time between verse 24 and verse 25. Understand that there is a space of time. I don't know how long that space of time was, but Thomas showed up. Might have been a day or two, could have been half a week, but Thomas finally made it. Between verse 24 and 25. Because when Thomas finally showed up in verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him. We have seen the Lord. And Thomas says in essence I ain't buying that. I don't know what you guys are so happy about. They're telling him, look, we were here. These guys were telling us about Jesus. Amen. Meeting them on the road to Emmaus. And while they were yet speaking, he just showed up and said, hey, check out the nail prints and check out the feet and check out my side. And it was him. Thomas said, I'm going to need more than that. Hello? I need some cold, hard evidence. Thomas tells them in no uncertain terms except I shall see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger in the nail scarred hand and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. Except I see it for myself. I will not believe. Thomas simply couldn't believe in their happy ever after story. He needed some cold, hard evidence. He needed some kind of proof before he joined the celebration. I know, 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 I know. I know the tomb was empty. I I heard about that. I know. I know Mary Magdalene showed up, said he's alive. We saw angels and all that. I know. I got that. I, I, I know. I, I, I know the story. The guy's walking down the road and he shows up and they go to dinner and, I, and then he poof out of this. I, I know. I got it. I know y'all said that he showed up and said, hey, look at my hands. Look at my feet. I know. That ain't good enough for me. Except I see it for myself. Except I can put my finger in the nail print of his hand. I don't want to just look at his hand. I want to put my finger in the nail print. I want to know for sure. If my finger goes all the way through, there might be something to it. If I can put my hand in his side, maybe there's something to it. Hello? Except I see the nail prints, except I see the wound in his side, the scars. I'll never believe. Now, there's another space of time between verse number uh, 25 and verse number 26. It's exactly eight days. 
Verse 26 says, and after eight days, after eight days, I wonder what they were all talking about during that eight days. I wonder if some of the disciples weren't trying to convince Thomas. I'm telling you, man, you got to come along. I'm telling you, you need to believe. Hello? Eight days later, they are locked up. They are locked within. And Thomas is with them. After eight days, again, the disciples were within and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. He showed up the same way that he had showed up and disappeared before. Poof. I don't know. I don't know. I grew up in the bewitched era, you know, and I can just go twinkle, twinkle, twink, and there he was. I don't know if that's how it happened or, or you know, the boom. I dream a genie thing. I don't know. But he just shows up. And nobody has to tell him, hey, we all believe, but you got to convince Tom. Because Thomas over here, he don't believe. No, nobody has to tell Jesus any of those things. He just shows up and he says, hey, Thomas, come here. I want you to, I want you to put your finger in the nail print of my hand. I want you to thrust your hand into my side. And I want you to not be faithless, but I want you to believe. And Thomas, the scripture doesn't say whether Thomas actually put his hand or put his finger in the nail print or put his hand in his side because I, I, I personally think just seeing was enough that blew him away. Nothing says that he didn't, nothing says that he did. But what, what did happen was when Jesus showed him his scars, Thomas was a changed man. And he said, my Lord and my God. Thomas called him not only Lord, but God. My Lord and my God. When Thomas saw the scars, he was a changed man. He too knew that it was indeed Jesus. And his confession matched the, that which was in his heart. And he believed and received. And you may be asking yourself this morning, Pastor Gary, how does all of this apply to us? And this is what I couldn't get away from. All week long, all of us have scars. All of us have scars. Every single one of us in this room, we have physical scars. We have emotional scars. Some scars are physical and some scars are emotional, but we all carry our own personal scars. Scars of broken pain of relationships that have been severed. Scars of unjust criticism and unfounded accusation. 
Scars of rejection and, and, and exclusion. Scars this morning of, of tragedy and law, childhood taunts that continue to play over and over again in our mind. Scars of addiction and bondage. Scars that were afflicted upon us by others and scars that we shot our own self in the foot. Hello? We all have scars. Scars of sin, disobedience, and rebellion. We all have scars. We all can point to certain things in our life that reveal the broken places in our life. But unlike Jesus... Many of us, instead of revealing the scars, we want to hide them. We want to cover them up. Hello? We want to cover them so nobody will see the wounded place. We want to cover them so that we can protect ourselves from revealing the pain that was associated with the wound. We want to cover it up and keep from revealing it. Amen. Unlike Christ, we want to hide it so that we can keep that area of our life secret and pretend that it just didn't happen and it doesn't exist. Mm. Our mindset is all too often if we hide it, maybe it will just go away. But I'm going to tell you this morning, it will never go away on its own. You can hide it if you want to, but it will never heal over until the master heals the wounded area of your life. But our mindset is we want to portray an image that we have got it all together and there ain't nothing ever bad happened in my life. Hello? And so we put on a smile and oftentimes it is a fake front. Preaching where the rubber meets the road. Preaching where the rubber meets the road this morning. All too often the Christian mindset is, amen, if we can hide it away, we feel like, amen, we need to be perfect in order for others to see Christ in us. No, let me tell you something. They need to see the scars and the wounded places of our life because that's what convinced Thomas uh, that he was real. I'll tell you this morning, we have a lot of Thomases uh, in the world today. And the only thing that's going to convince them that he is real is seeing what he has brought you through. Hello? 
I don't mean to sound unkind toward the church this morning, but all too often we want to put up a fake front and act as if there ain't ever anything ever bad happened in our life. That like we ain't ever had any kind of trouble. We ain't ever suffered any kind of hardship and nobody ever broke our heart. And I want to tell you this morning that is Oscar Mayer theology that is baloney. We have all been injured. We have all, amen, been wounded and we all have scars. But our mindset is to hide it. I don't want anybody to see. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to know that I was hurt, that I was injured. I don't want anybody to see my wounded place. How unlike Christ. Jesus said, you want to know it's me? Here, check it out. See the wounded area? Right there is where they drove the nail. You want to see right there is where they drove the nails into my feet. You want to see that it's really me right here is where they pierced my side. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen this morning if we could take a biblical look at our scars and react the way that Jesus reacted. If we could be more like Christ, I wonder if we could have an impact on some Thomases in our life. I wonder, Jesus voluntarily showed his scars. It was part of how he shared his testimony. His scars were a part of his story, and so are yours. His scars were a part of his story. His scars were a result of the suffering. And in fact, the Bible teaches us that even to this day, he still bears in his body those marks from the cross. They are part of who he is. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. He still carries those marks. I wonder what would happen this morning if we could be a little more like Christ. He showed them his scars, and when he did, he was saying two things. Remember what happened. Remember the pain. Remember the suffering. Remember the anguish. Remember the sacrifice, and remember the love. But secondly, Jesus was saying, you saw the wounds when they were afflicted upon me, but check it out. It don't hurt anymore. It's a healed place. Scars are proof of healing. Scars are proof that it has healed up. Amen. I'm talking about revealing to others the healed places in our life. Don't show them your wounds. 
There's a difference between showing them your wounded heart and your healed heart. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, if you're still fighting with bitterness and you're still fighting with anger, amen, then just keep your testimony to yourself till you get the victory. But when you get the victory, amen, and the scars have come and the, and the healing has taken place, then don't be afraid to open yourself up and let people know what God has done in your life. Because when they see what God has done in your life, like Thomas, when he saw the scars, he believed. I wonder this morning if we would be a little more open and a little more transparent. Instead of acting like, you know, we are brother and sister, goody, goody. Hello? Brother and sister, too good for you. I wonder what would happen if we would be a little more open and let people in and let them see the scars and the wounded places in our own life. If they would see the healer, Jesus, through the scar and believe. Scars prove. That the suffering is complete. Scars prove that the wound has closed. Thomas believed when he saw the scars. Let me say that again. Thomas believed when he saw the scars. But let me just tell you that he only saw the scars because Jesus was willing to reveal them. He only saw the scars because Jesus was willing to say, hey, Thomas, come here. Don't be faithless. I want you to see what God has done for me. Yeah, I was wounded. Yeah, I was broken. Yeah, I was abused. But it's all healed up. Resurrection declares I'm not only alive, but I am healed up. I may carry some battle scars, but I, amen, the scars are only proof, amen, that something happened. The, the scars were only proof that something transpired that needed to be healed. And the very fact that there is a scar is the proof that you need, that Christ is able to bring healing and life to us. What if instead of hiding our scars, we could be more like Christ and openly share the healed places in our life? I wonder what would happen if we would get a little more real with people instead of acting like we have it all together. How many of you got it all together? I got one hand back in the back, and I know him. I know he ain't got it all together. <laughs> Hello. How many of you got it all together? Then let's don't act like we got it all together. Amen. Let's let's don't act like we got it all together. What if we stopped hiding our scars and let them see the areas of our life that Christ has brought healing to? 
What if we, amen, what if our scars could be a reminder that injuries heal? What if scars could be a reminder to others that we have overcome adversity? What if our scars could point to others uh, to the healing power of Christ? Uh, What if our scars could testify that God uses broken things? Uh, What if our scars could testify, amen, that we are a people of the resurrection? What if our scars could testify that we've been wounded and yet by God's grace we are healed and standing upon our feet and by God's power we rise. What if our scars could be not a sign of weakness but instead a sign of the power of God in our life? God always uses broken things. I said, God always uses broken things. Broken soil to produce a crop. Broken clouds to produce rain. Broken bread or broken grain to give bread and broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives off the perfume and a sweet-smelling savor unto God. It is Peter weeping bitterly that is used in a great and mighty way in the future. Why? Because God always uses broken things. God takes the broken things that others throw away and makes something beautiful of them. Your scars this morning are proof of the healing power of God. If God hadn't have healed you, you'd have died of infection a long time ago. Do you hear what I'm saying? Your scars are proof. Don't be afraid. To show someone your scars. Maybe our scars or our experiences, we will be able to comfort someone who's going through the same kind of thing that we went through. Maybe because of our scars and our pain, we have learned how to have compassion for others in their time of need. Maybe our scars, maybe we don't even know it, but our scars have become a source of strength for others who know our story and they wonder how in the world you ever made it through. Amen. And you can testify to them. It wasn't by my might. It wasn't by my power, but it was by the anointing of the Holy Ghost. If it had not been for the Lord, I'd have been lost a long time ago. What I'm saying this morning is don't be afraid to allow your scars to be a testimony. Don't be afraid to allow your scars to be a testimony because it is through the scars of our own life that we just might be able to reach a Thomas in our life. Someone that we know that says, yeah, 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 I've heard. Yeah, I know, I know, I heard. 
I heard, yeah, but you haven't seen the scars. Let me show you the scars, and it'll change your life. Don't be afraid to openly share your faith. Why I believe in the Lord. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. See, God takes those broken areas of our life and he uses them for his glory. I will just say this about Brother Jim and Sister Noreen, and they have shared with others. At one time, their marriage was on rocky ground, and God brought them back together and solidified their marriage and put a ministry of marriage in their life. And it's effective because they've been scarred and they've been wounded. And those scars testify to others of the grace and the power of God. I can tell you in my younger days, I acted like anything but a preacher. But God wasn't through with me yet. And he took me and picked me up and poured in oil and wine and healed my wounded places and put a ministry in my life. I'm not afraid to share the scars with you. I'm not a goody two-shoe. I'm not a brother better than you. Hello? No. No, I can tell you from experience. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Thank God, thank God. Don't be afraid to show your scars. Because it is through the scars that others are witness the power and the grace and the mercy of God. Bow your heads all over the building this morning. Bow your heads. Musicians, come. Heavenly Father, in the mighty and wonderful name of your Son, Jesus, I just want you to know I love you. I love you. I am so grateful, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, and your strength. I am so grateful, Heavenly Father, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Touch our hearts with your word, I pray. Don't let us leave unchanged. Don't let us leave unchanged. In Jesus' name, Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and I pray in the name of Christ. How many of you here this morning would be willing to slip up your hand and say, Lord, use my, use my scars to testify of your grace. I am your vessel. Use my broken places to proclaim the glory and the power of God. Help me lead a Thomas into faith. 
Help me lead a Thomas into faith. Lord, we are a victorious people, but we are victorious only because of your grace. Thank you that our scars or our wounded places have been healed. Thank you that we look back upon the scar. We may remember both the good and the bad. But thank you that it's healed. Thank you that it's not open and festering and affecting my heart like it once did. Thank you for your healing grace. Thank you for your healing power. Stand to your feet all over the building this morning. Amen. Lift all of your hands toward heaven. We're going to pray together. Father, you have seen every hand that was lifted that said, Lord, I don't want to hide my scars. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be more like the Lord. Help me to openly share my faith. I may have been wounded in the past. I may have been broken in the past. But Lord, help me to be open and honest about that and act like, not act like it didn't happen, but act like I've been healed of it. Because the scar proves, the scar is the testimony of that healing. Help me to be open and honest about that. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would come Holy Spirit and that you would heal every hurting heart. Those that have been mistreated, those that have been misused, those that have been despised and rejected and frowned upon, those that have been ostracized and pushed aside, and those that have been uh, uh, pushed out of the way, and those that have been injured, and those that have been wounded, and those that have been hurt. I pray right now, Lord, that you pour in the healing oil of the Holy Spirit. Bind up their wound and let it heal. Leave only, oh God, I pray, a testimony of your grace and your power. In the mighty name of Jesus, and we will thank you for it throughout eternity. In Jesus' name.